Hi friends. We are in a series right now on why we do, and we're looking at all the little pieces of why we do each part to our service. Like what is the rhythm, the liturgy of the pieces of our worship service on Sundays. Um, and so we've looked at why we sing and why we pray the Lord's prayer. And we've looked at uh, why we bless, like why do we pass the peace of Christ to each other? Why do we speak blessing over each other? And you can find all those videos on other YouTube or on the rest of our YouTube channel if you wanna look back on any of those. Um, but today we're gonna look at why we preach God's word. Like why is this a very important part of our service? Why do we come together every Sunday and hear the scriptures read and then hear a teaching on the scriptures um, that hopefully brings some sort of life or meaning to you? Uh, and churches everywhere do this. This is not like this weird thing that we do and no one else does. We know that the sermon can be a very important part of the church's gathering together. Um, part of making disciples is teaching each other and, and learning from each other, growing from God's word, uh, learning how to live out, out God's justice and love and grace in the world. Part of being a disciple is learning to like love God's word, like to, to actually want to be in scripture, to learn from scripture. I mean, one of the ways that God speaks to us, one of the primary ways God speaks to us as people is through God's word, through the Bible. So um, there, I mean, seriously, like there's nothing that I love more in the mornings than waking up before everybody else in my house. It's quiet. Um, I open up the blinds if it's, if it's light out to keep them closed if it's pretty dark. I turn on my fireplace because it's just this little <laughs> one that you can click on the best. I don't need to make a fire, but yet I get to be all cozy. Um, I make coffee and I get to sit in God's word, pray and read the scripture that I have from my book of prayer. Um, and then there's usually a devotional reading that comes from that as well. And I can just sit in the quiet with Jesus. And I just like, it's my favorite part of my day. I cannot wait to wake up so I can be in God's word. And part of the thing about being a pastor and being able to present God's word to you and give meaning to your lives through God's word is I want you to have that same excitement and love for God's word. I want you to, to crave being in the Bible, to allow the Bible to inspire you and shape you and reorient you towards who Jesus is, who you are and what God is doing in this world. So good, so good. Um, we live in a world, as you all know, that is, it tends to give permission towards a lot of voices to speak into our lives with a certain amount of authority and influence. Like we give permission for voices in our lives to have authority, to speak and influence. I mean, how many people do you know are called influencers on social media? Like that's their job title. They get paid to influence people to buy certain things, to live a certain way, to be a certain kind of person. And depending on the amount of followers that they have, they get certain amount of um, money from vendors who then sell through them. We have an opportunity to listen to certain people with their very specific perspectives that we want to hear or um, have our preferences affirmed and approved of uh, because oftentimes we just never wanna be wrong. Like we always want to be right. And if you have enough of voices that affirm that you are right, that say the same things you're saying, it feels really good, right? If I can find people who agree with me and 
give me permission through their voices as authoritative, what happens is I am rarely challenged in my perspective or my worldview, um, in my understanding of God and how to even interpret the Bible or what God is trying to say through the Bible. If I'm only listening to certain voices, um, it, it I'm rarely challenged in my perspective of the difference between what's happening from Israel's perspective or the Palestine perspective and that conflict that is happening there right now, this horrible conflict that is causing um, people, human beings, children and women and grandparents to be collateral damage. If I'm only listening to one perspective and not the other, then I can easily dehumanize another person's worldview or the way that somebody else is seeing things. Um, I can have my perspective affirmed on sexual ethics or on racism or on politics and easily become a part of a think tank, depending on who I'm giving authority in my life. And it's really easy today to give permission to certain voices to become primary authorities to influence my life. This is why the Bible is incredibly important, friends, because the Bible is not interested in your own personal preferences, and it will push against any notion of self-absorption or pride or arrogance or some sort of power that is unfair that you are wielding over others. God's word will confront you in your complacency, in your sin, in your belief of rightness, um, in your boasting. And I believe that the Bible is one of God's primary forms of communication will, with humanity, and it will lead you away from pride and towards humility, where we have been called by God to do justice, to love mercy, to walk in humility with God all our lives in the context of community. The psalmist writes that God's word is a lamp unto our feet. It lights our feet. It is a light to our path that, that helps us figure out that way to go through life with God and with each other. It provides direction. God's word provides purpose and inspiration, instruction and discipline, wisdom and guidance on how to live with each other and with Christ. Our primary example in God's word of what it means to be uh, people of God is to be followers of Jesus. And when we look throughout the accounts of the gospels that, that showcase what Jesus' life was like in his ministry, in his days of ministering with his disciples, what we see is that Jesus held a very high view of scripture and he would use the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He would use the prophets. He would use the Psalms and his teachings and preachings that would actually bring new meaning and new life to God's word in the context he was in for the people he was speaking towards. And this continued in, in his disciples well after his death and resurrection, after he ascended to heaven, his disciples continued to take on that mantle, that, um, that, that way that Jesus taught. They were like, that's how we want to teach. That's how we want to live. That's how we want to continue forth God's word. So they would use God's word, the Torah, the Psalms, the prophets, um, whenever they preached the good news. And if you look throughout the book of Acts, what you'll see again and again is any time that the disciples, Peter or Paul or Barnabas or anybody, Stephen, whenever they were speaking about who Jesus was, when they were presenting the gospel to people, 
they always pointed back to the scriptures. And for them, the scripture was the Old Testament. So you look throughout, like on the bottom of my Bible, I've got all these little like footnotes and stuff. So um, you've got Deuteronomy and Genesis and Psalms that are being uh, referenced and put out there by these disciples. Um, Exodus is here. We've got Amos, Isaiah, Deuteronomy. Again and again, they're like pointing back to the Old Testament as filtered through and seen through the lens of Christ crucified and risen. Okay. Uh, it says in Acts 2.42, it says that everyone devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is teaching of God's word, giving that um, commentary of who Jesus was, like how Jesus is showing up in the Old Testament and Jesus being the Messiah. Um, they devoted themselves to fellowship with each other, like really important, close communal community, uh, friendship with each other, to the breaking of bread. So it's communion and also just eating together, having meals and to prayer. Everyone was filled in awe at the many wonders and signs. They started singing, they started selling their property. But the thing that we're focusing on today that the early church did and that we've continued forth into the church that we are in today is that um, devoting ourselves to the apostles teaching of God's word. There was this assumption from the early church leaders that God's word through Christ would shape and reshape the church's thinking forever. So it's not just that we're being shaped by God's word because of Christ, and now my mind is different. It's that the apostles thought that God's word had the capacity to shape people's thinking then, but continuing on throughout all of the generations into the future. So, so regardless of the culture and the time and the place and the aspirations of the church and what the important thing of the church was during that time, like how the church wanted to and could impact culture and place and the world they lived in for God's goodness and purposes, these early church leaders seem to know that God's word had the capacity and the capability to impact every culture and people forever until Christ returned. N.T. Wright is a scholar and he says, one can never assume that any part of culture, ancient or modern, is automatically to be endorsed or rejected. What this means, it shows us that God's word um, is meant to be engaged with and struggled with in our current contexts and our current lives as a churched people. And this is what it means when we say that God's word is alive. I don't know if you've heard that statement before, that God's word is alive. It means that God's word is meant to impact and transform us as people of God in our current culture and circumstances and contexts that we live in today. It provides direction, purpose, inspiration, instruction, wisdom, and guidance on how to live with each other and how to live with Christ. Now, you might think, well, God doesn't change, right? We've heard that too, that, that uh, God's word doesn't change. So, so why would there be different struggles or different kinds of engagements with the biblical texts and in different cultures and different times? If God's word is the same, if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as the Bible says, um, doesn't that mean that if the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. 
I don't know if you've heard that saying before, but I've heard it said many times. And it's almost like what happens when we say something like that, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that the Bible says it, and I believe it, and that settles it. It closes off any room for conversation, for engagement, and for the word of God to actually be alive in our lives. It becomes a mentality that is actually fairly idolatrous, idolatrous, <laughs> like idolatry, um, meaning that, that the God I was handed as a child to me, or the way that I understand God, and the way I interpret scripture is the correct one, and I have nothing more to learn. And if I think like this, I can actually become fairly easily deceived. Um, we have, as people, we have a propensity towards self-deception, where we believe our experience is the primary experience, like my understanding of God is the correct understanding of God. And since God doesn't change, this correct understanding doesn't change. And absolutely, there are truths about God that transcend time and space, like God's forgiveness and grace, love, mercy, his, his kindness, God's holiness, like these truths about God's character need little interpretation. That doesn't change. God's character is always the same. That has never changed in time and space. But friends, um, you are not the same person you were at 15. I think it's Barbara Brown Taylor who says something like this, that, that you're not the same person you were at 15 or when you were 20 or when you were 30. Or um, you're not the same person today as you'll be when you're 70, 80, or 90 years old, right? Your understanding of God, your recognition of God's love and grace towards you and others in this world has not been the same throughout every season of your life. There's a certain amount of hard knocks that come our way that have to cause us to read the Bible and engage with God in a different way. And that shapes how we see God. God's word becomes alive and full of truth and encouragement and inspiration for you and your church in every season, friends. Like it is true for every season and culture and time and place from the beginning to the endless tomorrows. But there's a reality that you have shifted, that you are being shaped, that you are being able to see God in a whole different way, almost in this more abundant and life-giving way than maybe 10 years ago even. God's word has the potential to inform our lives as a people if we give it the authority to speak in our lives. And as I said before, we give a lot of voices, a certain amount of authority, but because the Bible is one of the primary ways that God communicates with God's people, scripture must be a bigger authority than anything else. And if we believe that this book is the inspired word of God that helps provide direction and meaning and purpose to life, why would we not read it for our own personal lives, our own personal benefit, and also for the lives of this church community that we are a part of? 
There's something powerful and spiritually weighty that comes from the preached word of God, so much so that this is how the early church actually grew. It grew through the preaching and teaching of God's word and the ways that those early church leaders lived out what they were saying. It wasn't merely words spoken and good platitudes out there or encouraging words. They lived out what they preached. There's a pastor by the name of Rolf Jacobson, and he wrote about the importance of the Bible and how all scripture is a means by which God can breathe life and faith and hope and love and forgiveness and resurrection into people. The early church was known as a scripture reading community who loved God's word. And from Israel to the early church and into today, God has given the Bible to equip God's people for God's purposes in the world. And this is why we preach and teach God's word every week here. This is why we have different voices sharing and teaching and providing interpretation, um, bringing this different type of relevance to our life. Uh, each voice and each perspective brings this wider and fuller understanding of God's word. Uh, and so into the context and into this community of faith that we're a part of here at Catalyst, there's a little bug flying around my face. <laughs> um, we get a fuller picture of God because of the different voices that we bring into our community. We try to have a lot of engaging questions when we meet in person or on Zoom. Uh, we try to hear from different voices intentionally, like um, an in a perspective of God's word from an indigenous woman like Tamara, or from a Japanese American man like Clark, from a gay woman like Haley. All of these people all of these children of God in our community, in our church family, brings a fuller view of God's love and grace and delight in creation than if I am the only one who teaches. And I understand that through the pandemic, I've been the main voice of teaching and that has been really hard for me because I am missing out on a lot of the other voices. And if you look throughout scripture, what you see is God's word was preached through different voices. You've got Peter and Paul, uh, Thomas, he was known as kind of a doubter. Paul was known as like, with like righteous, crazy fervor. Peter was somebody who spoke before he thought. Um, you've got Stephen who was murdered for him speaking out God's word. We've got women like Lydia, uh, Junia, who was one of the apostles. Priscilla, who actually taught Apollo in how he was, um, how he taught James, the brother of Jesus. All of these people had unique perspectives of scripture and how to apply God's purposes to people's everyday lives. This was needed. It was included in the early church. And so we continue this tradition today in the life of our church. Um, I want to read from 2 Timothy today. Uh, and then we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up here in a minute. But this is a passage of scripture that's been used a number of times for why we are in God's word, why scripture is so important. Uh, this, the, this book of Timothy, that was a letter written to Timothy by, by Paul. Um, and it was, a, it was a letter that was very communal in its writing, but it was also very familial, like um, family oriented, showing that the family of God is 
that, that, that your own personal family and the family of God is something that is like super integrated. And, and it says in verse, Second uh, Timothy chapter one, verse five, it says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also this like generational faith that your grandparent and their grandparent and your mother and you, all of you have had this deep respect for God's word and this faith in God that continues forth. And it doesn't end with you, Timothy. It continues on in the ministry that God has appointed you for. Mm, I just I love it. I love it so much. Uh, so I want to read this. Second Timothy chapter 3, we'll read verses 14 to chapter 4, verses verse 5. So it says, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and what you have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, his grandparents, his mom, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed. That word God-breathed is theonoustos. It is a similar word that is, it like will um, remind the person reading this, Timothy, and then anybody else who gets to read it. It will remind them of Genesis 2 uh, verse 7, where God breathed the breath of life into humans. This sense of like, Life doesn't exist without God breathing it into us. It also would remind the reader of John chapter 20, verse 22, where Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit into his disciples. That life can't continue forth without the breath of God, without all scripture being God breathed. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge, Timothy. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction from the time for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine instead they will suit their own desires they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will gather in think tanks. They will look for influencers. They will give authority to their lives, to those voices that, that say the things that they want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of, a, of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Mm. Thanks be to God. Friends, when God's word becomes that primary authority in your life that points to who God is and who you are, 
The Bible then provides direction and purpose, inspiration, instruction, wisdom, and guidance to how to live with each other and how to live with Christ. N.T. Wright says in uh, his book, it's called Scripture and the Authority of God. Phenomenal book. He says, the church was thus from the very beginning characterized precisely as the transformed people of God, as the community created by God's call and promise and summoned to hear the word of the gospel in all its fullness. The earliest church was centrally constituted as the people called into existence and sustained in that existence by the powerful, effective, and authoritative word of God, written in the Old Testament, embodied in Jesus, announced in the world, taught in the church. This was the heart of the church's mission, of its common life, and of the holiness of identity. Friends, when we read scripture together, we become connected with that generational Christians who have come before us and those who will come after us. We commune in a way that transcends time and space and we are reminded of the great company of saints who worked for God's justice, who loved their neighbors really well, who forgave each other and encouraged each other and built each other up for the sake of the gospel and for the glory of God. This is why we preach the word of God every week, because it provides direction and purpose and inspiration and instruction, wisdom and guidance on how to live with each other and how to live with Christ. This is why we do these things. Amen. We're going to go into our time of communion here in a moment, the Eucharist together. Um, I would love to pray out our prayer of confession together. It'll be on the screen for you. And um, why don't you take a moment and be mindful and be thoughtful of an area that you have kept God away from in your life this week? Is there something that you held God at bay? Was there some voice of authority that you were um, turning your attention to more than God's voice? Was there something that you believed about somebody else or about yourself that is actually a lie or untrue? Why don't you bring that before the Lord in the silence of your hearts before we pray this confession together? Hmm. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought word and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Friends, hear the good news. Your sins have been forgiven by the beautiful work of Christ on the cross towards the life everlasting, that we can proclaim this great mystery that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. 
Let us move into this time of communion together, receiving Christ's body and his blood. This, this beautiful picture of us coming together, unified with that great company of saints that have come before us and those who will come well after we are gone. Let us keep this feast together, my friends.